You're listening to Language Nerds Do Earth, the podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time for your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. is language nerds to earth we are on episode number 13 lucky 13 today we're going to talk about something called third culture kids hmm (laughs) interesting yeah if you have no idea what that is don't worry we're gonna Mm -hmm. dive right into that yeah we're gonna take you through it it's gonna be okay (laughs) yeah then we'll hear our Lost in Translation story from Sean in China. Mm-hmm. But first... But first, we have some language news. Uh, this was just a really fun little article I found on Twitter the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called How Pigs Rooted Their Way into the German Language. So... Germans have had an unusually intense relationship with pigs, which shows up in peculiar phrases in everyday conversations, often hearkening back to the Middle Ages in ways good and bad. Yeah, I had no idea that there was such an abundance of phrases using pig. I don't speak German, but it's pretty fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, actually. Um, I do speak German, uh, but I I never really thought about how much people use the word Schwein in German. So Schwein is is pig, and then they also use the word Zau, which means sow. Sow, what yeah. Is it? Sow, okay, which we don't really use very much in English. But, but yeah, it's true. Uh, I was telling Rachel that I feel like when I was in Germany about 11 years ago, I, I felt... I th- I think I'd, at some point I was just like, Schwein must mean something else, because <laughs> it is everywhere. <laughs> Why are they talking so, about pigs so much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, for some reason it just ended up in a lot of a lot of phrases. So this article talks about that, which is pretty interesting. So do you want to kind of get into it, Rachel? Yeah. So... According to the article, there are around 150 German phrases that contain some reference to to swine, <laughs> which is completely, I mean, I was completely surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I think in most cultures, um, pigs have kind of a negative connotation of being dirty or being gluttonous or being just gross you know right but um i think a lot of these phrases that they put in the article were either neutral or kind of a positive connotation as well yeah yeah and there were some negative ones as well but um for the most part it's a lot of positive phrases like you said so we have a few here uh for example schwein gehabt past tense i had pig Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm And it means uh, I had luck. This has two main theories. The first one is that in a card game in the 16th century, an ace was called a, a sow, a zow, and then whoever drew the sow was lucky. And then the other theory is that in early modern Germany, when 
they were still working on their food security situation, owning a pig was a way to ensure that the family wouldn't starve. Mm-hmm. So um, it was good fortune in tough times. I feel like pigs might be good luck in in China as well in that case. Okay. A couple of the other expressions, I'm going to go for this. Yeah. Mein English ist unter alles Sau. My English is under pig, meaning <sighs> your English skills are not very good. Ah, yeah. Unter alles Sau. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, whereas we would say uh, maybe it's rusty or it's not up to par, which I guess would be a sports mm-hmm. one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, not up to par. That's true. So in this article, they also mentioned that they kind of use pig the same way we use sport expressions in mm-hmm. English. We use sports analogies all the time. They yeah, I think analogies. especially, sp- um, sorry, American English. Mm-hmm. You know, we have lots of yeah. baseball references or, mm-hmm. I don't know, football maybe. American culture is also relatively competitive. Yeah. And I think that's one one thing that plays into it is the, like, sports and competition. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I buy that. Yeah. Um, another one they have is voll wie ein Schwein. The literal translation is um, full, like like not empty, so full like a like a pig. Uh-huh. What we would say is drunk as a skunk. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one that I really like is um, die Sau rauslassen. Die Sau rauslassen. Mm-hmm. To let the pig out. Uh-huh. To um, express a desire to party or go wild. Yeah, I think that's like, in English, we would say who let the dogs out, Exactly. Right? Come let the on. dogs out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. I like that a lot, too. <laughs> I recognize my pigs by their walk. Mm-hmm. I recognize my gang. So... I recognize a situation or a person, ooh, from past experience. So that's that one would be like kind of um, if you hear hoofprints, it's not zebras, maybe. No. Maybe. I was thinking more like I I don't know. I would say something like I would know that anywhere. I would know that mm-hmm. whatever anywhere that walk or that laugh or that. Yeah, this sounds like a phrase I would use like. As I get older, as I have more experience, like, ah, I've seen that big before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think my pig is whistling. (laughs) Used to express disbelief or astonishment at a situation. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, the article says, like, in English we would say, when pigs fly. Right, it's not really exactly the same. Not exactly, um, no. But that's it's pretty close for sure. Mm-hmm. One other one that I really liked is we haven't yet kept pigs together. <laughs> and that's like when somebody's trying to like be real like close or like sharing intimate things with you. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, I don't know you Whoa. yet. <laughs> Slow down. We haven't even kept pigs together yet. (laughs) 
Take me out to dinner first, man. <laughs> At least, like, help me feed my pigs. <laughs> Same thing. That's funny. Yeah, that's really cute. Yeah, German is such an interesting language. People have asked, like, which language do I like more, German or Spanish, since they're, like, at pretty comparable levels, and honestly, like, they just have very different energies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, German, I've said before in past episodes about how it has so many rules, and that is kind of similar to the way Germans live their lives. Like, you... Yeah, as a rules, and you must follow them, you know, like, that's just what you do, and even, like, at a crosswalk, people might walk across when it's red, but if there are children around, it's just, like, the unspoken rule is that you don't cross the road when the traffic man is red, because you want to set a good example for the mm, kid. Okay. <laughs> Whereas Spanish is just so relaxed and... And that's kind of how Spanish and Latin American culture is just kind of like, you know, everything will be cool. Put this verb here, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the grammar, let's be honest, is not that simple, but... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. German pigs. Germans and their pigs. And also yep. the graphic is really cute. There's like a little pig in Lederhosen. So mm-hmm. we'll obviously link to that. Whenever we mention an article, we always link to it in the show notes. So mm-hmm. um, this will be in languagenerdstoearth.com, uh, episode 13, show notes. You can find yeah. it. And the article, yeah, has lots of really cute illustrations. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. worth checking out. For sure. Yeah, to explain the phrases. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about third culture kids. Mm-hmm. So, what is a third culture kid? Yeah, the definition is very broad, mm-hmm. actually. The term comes from a kid who has parents from two different cultures and then grows up in a third culture. I think that happens very often. Like, I have some friends here in China. The mother is from Latin America, and the father is from Holland, and... Mm-hmm they are raising a baby together here in China. Right. So then the child grows up in a completely unique culture to mm-hmm. those which he has, like, ties to. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting balance of, like, what do you keep from your own parents' culture and what do you have of the culture where you grew up? And it's very fascinating how people experience childhood, adulthood when they've been raised this way. Mm -hmm. I think like a classic example is military kids whose parents have moved them all over the world. And that, it doesn't really follow the same definition, but like I said, it's a very broad term. Mm -hmm. I remember meeting for the first time, meeting kids in high school and college who are military. Do we say military brats? Is that like a, an offensive term? I think that's what they call themselves. Yeah. I remember being like, so where are you from? And they would just kind of roll their eyes and be like, well, everywhere. And it was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now I kind of understand 
what they were kind of getting at, which is something that our guests kind of talked about. But I forgot to mention, you know who else is a third culture kid? Obama. Obama. Yeah. Yes, he's a third culture kid. His dad is Kenyan. His mom is American, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He grew up in Hawaii, but also Indonesia. Right. I want to say. So, yeah, we talked to two of our friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to introduce David first? Yeah. David is a friend of mine from... uh, We both studied abroad together in South Korea. Hi, everyone. My name is David, and I'm from Japan, France, and the U.S. (laughs) So just to kind of... um, analyze this. My dad, he's French, and my mom, she's half Japanese, half American. But I was born in Japan. Then I lived in the U.S. for a bit until I was six, and then I moved to France, where I stayed there from seven to around 18 years old. His parents live in France, Mm -hmm. and Um, he just moved to to Dublin. Oh, he did! Uh, Oh, yeah, he got that job. Yeah, that's right. Working at Google. Oh, my God. No big deal. um, (laughs) Cool. Yeah. And regarding my native language, well, interestingly, it would technically be Japanese and English, because, well, English is a language we spoke at home. Um, with my parents and my, my sisters. And Japanese was a language that I learned at school because I was in a you know, Japanese kindergarten called Yochien. But once we moved from Japan to the U.S., uh, I was four, I completely stopped speaking Japanese. And so, you know, as of today, I don't remember. I mean, I remember some parts of it, but, you know, there's no way I could actually um, converse in Japanese. So I think interestingly, although Japanese is technically my native language, you know, after the age of four, I completely stopped speaking it. And I'd say that French actually replaced my Japanese because I moved to France when I was seven. And from there on, um, you know, I was fully immersed in the French educational system. So that's really the language that that I, you know, developed and nurtured, like reading books at school or conversational speaking, reading, writing, you know, talking, etc. Although English and Japanese would be my, my native language, French was the language that I mastered the most until I was 24. You know, yeah, after the age of 24, I enrolled in this two-year master's degree uh, with the first year in London and the second year in Los Angeles. And during those two years, I barely spoke French at all. I mean, of course, there was the occasional talking with my friends from France, etc. But I was really immersed in this very intense master's program where everything was in English and it was very rigorous and very demanding and until now my French which used to be my dominant language reversed with English which now became the language that I guess I'm the most comfortable with and the one that I I guess master the most. I talked to my friend Cecil here in Shenzhen. So uh, yeah. my name is Cecil. Um, I'm from... <laughs> I, I grew up mostly in Pakistan but I'm French, Chinese, Chinese, French, mm-hmm. yeah, and I spent some time in France, but mm-hmm. I guess I don't really tell people I'm from France unless, yeah, it's sounds weird. Yeah? Yeah. Why do you think it sounds weird? Because I didn't grow up there. It's uh, primarily when I'm talking to French people, and you know, like I tell them, even in French, in the same language, and, and I tell them I'm French, and they're like, oh, you're French, cool, uh, your accent, so like different yeah <laughs> like yeah. yeah i didn't grow up in france i want to kind of give a little bit of backstory his grandmother is hakka chinese really? so hakka is a minority group actually here 
uh, close to where I am. And I've actually met a few other people who are Hakka here in Shenzhen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, his grandmother, I think she left China. Well, she was in her 20s when she left China. Okay, so simply put, I'm the product of one Chinese parent. And even that's weird because he's he wasn't born in China or anything. Mm -hmm. But he was born in Bangladesh. And they've lived in the subcontinent, generally speaking, crowd. Okay, so he family, identifies yeah. as from... Chinese, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hakka Chinese, specifically, okay, yeah, Hakka. yeah. And yeah, my mom's European, I guess, Dutch, French, yeah, officially French, French national. I lived in France. I mean, I was born in Nice and lived there for a few years and then moved to uh, Pakistan as a kid. So would you consider your native languages then to be... All right, we've got a long list, actually. So now he's in Pakistan, five or six years old. He speaks French fluently. He speaks Hakka Chinese, which is very different from Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And then English, because I don't know if it's an official language of Pakistan, but everybody in Pakistan speaks English. Okay. And, and then eventually he also learns Urdu. My family being Chinese expats living in Pakistan felt like they really needed to be close to the community mm, made sure okay. I went for Chinese classes every uh. weekend <laughs> yeah. like Mandarin Chinese classes oh, yeah okay. so at at home we spoke Hakka Hakka in English okay and, then... and occasionally Urdu mm -hmm. my dad did want to make sure I was I was still connected to the French community so also every weekend I had <laughs> I would at some point end up going for French lessons. Mm, yeah. So you had just to keep that up. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's impressive. You must have been tired of language classes. I was extremely. I I was. I remember. Busy, busy kid. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's really a gift that his parents gave him to speak so many languages. But Jesus. Yeah. It must be exhausting. I mean. Yeah. I think as we're gonna hear them talk about. It's really unique to be able to speak so many languages, mm -hmm. and it's also, it can be, I think, a burden. I think so, too. Yeah. Are you more comfortable expressing yourself, speaking or writing in one language in particular? Well, yes. You know, I'll go back again and say, like, you know, until the age of 24, where I'd done my, you know, my whole junior high, high school uh, bachelor's in French, but... You know, once I did this two-year master's degree, that's where like my English became so much better, um, and I completely left, you know, French aside. And I had this job interview, uh, like actually last week, and it was in Ireland. So it's it's you know it's an English-speaking company, but the role was to kind of work with the French market. So you need to speak French, right? And I had to do the interview in French, and I completely underestimated how how I needed to perfect my French, actually, because it was uh, quite difficult. <laughs> There's all these, like, keywords, you know, business keywords and all this kind of, you know, speech rhetorics that I used to know and that I was fully comfortable with, but it just took me so much time to express myself in a way that I wanted to. And sometimes, you know, I would speak and I would have the conversation in my head, it would be in English, and I would have to pause to kind of, you know, translate it. But I couldn't translate it literally because that makes no sense. So I had to, you know, find a way to construct my sentence in a credible way, you know, in a way that makes sense and sounds authentic and native. And it's it's kind of embarrassing because the thing is, my French accent is definitely French. You know, like there, there's no way that when I speak French, people be like, oh, you know, like he sounds American. And I think it's it's worse because when you sound authentic, but you struggle to express yourself, 
it kind of highlights you in a way that you would be maybe you know borderline ignorant or stupid or you know you're just you you have this cognitive disability or something um and that's always something that i fear about because i sound native but my expression is just kind of awkward and and poor and sometimes i'm thinking you know what maybe just try to fake this american accent when you speak french because if you struggle to express yourself at least people will think okay it's not a native language so you know he can he'll have a a free pass (laughs) so when you have so many different parts of your identity it's really hard to answer the question where are you from whenever i meet a native french speaker and particularly somebody who's very very french mm-hmm. i like to point out that i'm an anglophonic french just so that you know people get a sense of who i am it's like i'm french yeah hold it hold your excitement <laughs> you know yeah yeah there's a caveat to that you feel that you have these different parts of yourself but maybe the culture where you grew up is not that of your parents and so maybe you're one thing but you've not really lived in that culture yeah and so maybe you don't have the same experiences yeah Cecil talks about that like how he went to move back to France for a time as an adult. So when I first moved back to France, interestingly, immigrations gave me a hard time. Oh no! Because <laughs> they, they were like, like French passport and stuff, and they like blattered something at me that I could barely understand. And of course, like I hadn't lived in France for the longest time, so you know I was uncomfortable speaking French. And they were like, "Yeah, something's not right about you. Off you go." <laughs> so I went off to the side, and oh. and um, they were like. Yeah, questioned me for about an hour. Wow. Opened up my stuff. Yeah. So I was like, I am I am not going to get out of this airport. <laughs> <laughs> That's really um, scary. Yeah, and, and that was like the first... It was good in a way. It was like, that was my first day, like moving back to France. That was my first day back in France. And it really impressed upon me how I'd need to either establish my identity or be able to be okay with people not understanding because I literally had to explain to them that I have just yeah I've got a French passport and and all of that but um you know and I was born here as well but it's I just I've only lived here for over 20 years yeah and they're like but you still don't know French <laughs> and I'm like well I do know it I'm just not comfortable speaking it yeah yeah so, so a lot going on there as well yeah and then it's interesting also that their native language slash the language they're most comfortable in has changed over time. Going back to languages, I guess I'm most at ease with English. I know that wasn't always the case. Mm. Um, I do still somewhat remember that. But, you know, like spending 20 years in Pakistan, like I think, and having to adapt really quickly, because I didn't initially no English either. So as a kid, I guess I had to learn English, Urdu, and um, Hakka because I was pretty much in that environment like, for the first time as well. I think English was kind of like the sort of the, the hub that I could share with everyone around me, whether they were family members or locals, like friends. Uh... Actually, I don't think I really learned Urdu until much later because Pretty much everyone spoke English. Mm-hmm. Everyone around me anyway spoke English. Yeah. Um, so it's kind I of, guess yeah. English would be yeah would be the language that 
that I most identify with, that I feel like the most communicative in. And for both of them, now it's English. Yeah, that's fascinating how their language has changed their language of choice. But yeah, like David talks about how he was really... Like, French was his main language, but now it's English. And... Right. He went. He was in the French educational system for a long time right. and then went to school in Montreal, to a university in Montreal, mm-hmm. and continued mm-hmm. with French as his main language until he did his master's, and that's really when his switched. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they both talk about which language they prefer to use for different types of interactions. Yeah. Of course, my mom's Japanese is way, 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 way better than mine. But yeah, as I said, like in our home, we spoke English to be inclusive because my mom didn't speak French. So that's the language we used. I mean, sometimes I try to speak Japanese, but obviously it's it's, it's very flawed and it's not fluent or fluid at all. <laughs> but with my dad, I realized that when I speak English, sometimes it's not that it's awkward, but since I know that his native language is French, and since mine is more or less French, it just sounds more natural to speak to each other in French. Because I feel like we can get the message more clearly, and he'll maybe have to think a bit if he wants to express himself in English, although he's very proficient in the language. But I just think that, you know, just to keep the conversation as concise and clear as possible, we'll just use French, because the English creates this imbalanced attempt to find words and, you know, it made may lead to miscommunication basically so overall yeah with with my dad it's it's just better to speak in french although you know once my mom's there we immediately switch to to english yeah yeah i love that part we talked a little bit about that also in um episode seven and i just like hearing what people have to say about Mm -hmm. it so cecil talks about how when he thinks about a night with a bottle of wine and talking with friends that's the french part of him it's weird right so for me enjoying like an evening out on the porch with friends and wine and stuff if i picture doing that i picture that in french in like where i was living for example it was very common like i would spend most evenings that way with my neighbors just you know sitting by the pool out on the porch bottle of wine mm-hmm. or three <laughs> after dinner you know <laughs> yeah 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 well you drink stuff while you converse and right. yeah so to me that's a very french thing and i it's something i would like to do in english some reason i just don't have that same connection with it when i'm with people speaking in english mm-hmm. for some reason i always go to with either beer or my or usual whiskey um mm-hmm. and we just um, we talk about stuff for sure obviously that's a gathering but it feels different if there's a different energy about it mm-hmm. um they know like grape vines over our heads or anything like that it's not yeah. it's, it, it's like a completely different universe almost and the same in i love you know this family dinners i guess like thanksgiving or something where it's like all homemade meals and mm-hmm. you know you know like between eight and ten people gather around one table all mm-hmm. eating the same stuff yeah. at the same time to me that's a very chinese thing ah, yeah yeah to me that's a very chinese thing like i love trying out different chinese foods and stuff like yeah. i like trying out food anyway but mm-hmm. especially in china it's like really cool to be able to sit around a table and share 
the same meal and like all the different dishes and all of that. Yeah, the family yeah. style sharing. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's a very Chinese thing. And and it, being in that situation, my head automatically goes to Chinese, mm. um, to Hakka, and even Mandarin. Yeah. Yeah. That's you. And what about English? Is there any instance where but yeah, you really um, identify? Yeah, yeah. English? Um, you know, like watching a sports event or mm. drinking beer mm. at a bar. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very English to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's cool. And so it's interesting. Urdu is to me like an international thing. Huh. Do you know that mindset you get in when you go traveling somewhere and you're like, I, I need to pick up what the local language is, AP, like, know how to count money, you know, mm-hmm. names of places, transportation, hail a taxi, whatever, you know, like toilet, yeah. toilet. Yeah. In my head. Um, <laughs> What's the word for toilet? <laughs> yeah. So, you know that mindset that you get into, right, when you're abroad? For me, that's a very Urdu Pakistani thing, and that's when I'm eating out and stuff. Then I'm like calculating. I could get this much for this much amount, and is it going to make me sick? Ah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, that's like. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's it's, Urdu it's, it's a weird. Man. Overall, I mean, I'm the kind of person who thinks that identities are not fixed. I think someone can has multiple identities, right? And I would say that when I speak French, yes, there is a certain attitude. I have, I guess, because French people within themselves, they act, in, for example, if, like when you don't know each other, you know, when you're foreign or like strangers, basically, you, you know, French people are very polite to, to each other. They use the, the vouvoiement, which is like you have to use a special way of addressing uh, to each other uh, that you don't use in English. In English, you say you, you, you to like everyone. Right. But in French, you have to change this vocabulary. You have to use this other term. So. You know, there's all these kind of elements that you need to, need to consider when you speak, uh, when I speak French to a stranger. And plus, I feel like maybe my humor would change a bit too, because I know that French people, they're very, very sarcastic, like 95% of the humor is sarcastic. So, yeah, I, I guess on this standpoint, my my mindset will kind of alter a bit and I'll know, okay, I'm in France, like this is the attitude I need to have, this is the kind of humor I should have. Whereas when I'm in the US or in the UK and I'm speaking English... I just feel that, generally speaking, there's a much more, especially in the U.S., a much more laid-back attitude. You know, people are just so friendly and, you know, easygoing on the street. You can just, like, strike a conversation with someone, and it won't be seen as awkward. Whereas I know that in France, if you just, like, randomly hit up someone on the street, they'll be like, you know, like, what's the what's the purpose? Like, what's your, what's your point? Like, what do you want? It, it can't, you can't just casually talk to someone. So I guess in the U.S., I'm a bit more, you know, I have this kind of attitude where I know that, you know, I can just be more sociable and I can just be more laid back because um, it'll be socially acceptable in, in the country. I really liked that. And then I asked Cecil, do you have any advice to new parents of third culture kids? Because, you know, this community of people is really growing. The number of third culture kids that we're going to see in the next hundred years is just, I think it's going to skyrocket as the world grows yeah, closer sure. together. It's so weird to think of myself as being in a position to hand out <laughs> advice. Um, honestly, it's just go with the flow. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, I feel like we're A, we're living in a day and age where everything's so globalized. And yet you have parents and adults complaining about our young uns are adopting that other mm-hmm. culture and this other culture. And like, get over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I I, totally do we, we, we live in a world with the wider internet 
I mean, people are just going to be, to various degrees, like kids growing up nowadays are just going to end up somewhat multicultural. Yeah. It's going to happen, okay? You'll have a French kid living in some small village in this countryside of France, watching YouTube and picking up Filipino culture. Like, Mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Just get over it and go with it. Yeah. If you oppose it, you're probably not going to end up not understanding it and making a distance between yourself and your kid. But that applies even more so to third culture kids, I think, um, where I think um, parents need to be just as adaptive, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. And I know it was easy on me. I got lucky that at least one of my parents, my dad, he speaks like seven different languages and he's traveled various parts of the world. And I don't know that I would have like have as open a world view if I didn't see that happening in front of me. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have a person I could observe doing yeah. the same thing, like speaking different languages and being able to switch back and forth between cultures. And, and I think it does add more openness, more appreciation, understanding, tolerance, whatever it is, you know, the ability to connect. And I think kids sort of growing up in that... 20 years from now, that might just be the norm. 20, 30 years from now. At least among, like, uh, ed- large, educated like, uh, communities. Yeah, and, and, and especially large, like, cities, like melting pot type cities like New yeah. York and now even in China, you know. Yeah. That might just end up being the norm. And it's just something to expect and just work towards. You know, that's the whole, like, thing about Star Trek, right? The Starfleet thing is, like, yeah, yeah, you combine the entire um, human race and then eventually all races, all species across the universe towards a common goal, which is, like, you know, in, like, cooperating together, living together, understanding and all of that. So I liked what he said, you know, just kind of embrace it. Yeah, me too. And, yeah, I Mm -hmm. think just by using our observational skills, we can already see that there are more than before yeah if you think about I don't know even kids that you knew um maybe in school or in definitely from university how many did you know versus maybe how many did your parents know and I guarantee you the number is higher yeah definitely I feel like I've met a lot of third culture kids missionary kids also Mm -hmm. yeah Um, I mean let's see Anne's not really third culture, but uh-huh. in a way, kind of. How so? Uh, her, I always get mixed up, but I think her mom is French, her dad is Belgian. Uh, she grew up in Belgium, but then when she was like 14, moved to Sweden. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Yeah. And so she then went to Swedish school, went to university there. And since then, she's done, I think what's typical of a lot of third culture kids is like living in lots of places and Mm -hmm. kind of not having the typical roots that a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. And so they're a bit more free to, to migrate, to move. Yeah. Huh. It's so interesting. Yeah. Actually, Anne left us a really great Lost in Translation moment. In episode five, which that's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, if you want to like pee your pants in laughter, <laughs> go check that out. Yeah. Um, well, 
So yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything about third culture kids. Obviously, you know, we talked to two of them and their experiences were so incredibly different. Yeah. But every third culture kid's experience is just going to be unbelievably different, like super unique. And um, I think that can be a challenge also because they're, they are so different and they might have trouble like uh, kind of finding a way to deal with it because it can be common to feel alone in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And how do you relate to someone about your your experiences, which are so different than most people's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading this article by the BBC, which I can link to, and they talk about how third culture kids have trouble when they move to a place where there aren't a lot of international people. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they have, they usually come from a more privileged upbringing than average, but it's not because they chose it and they have trouble kind of explaining to other students what their life is like because they just sound like they're bragging. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's kind of like how, I mean, I'm not a third culture kid. I wish I was a third culture kid sometimes. It sounds super interesting. (laughs) But like when I went back to the U.S., I would kind of I remember talking to friends about, like, you know, oh, yeah, when I was in Korea, we we made a stop in Taiwan or whatever, and, oh, this really crazy thing happened when we were in the Philippines, and it sounds like, it doesn't sound like I'm telling just a crazy story about my time in the Philippines. It sounds like I'm like, oh, listen, listen to me tell you about the Philippines. It's <laughs> my privileged life. So. Yeah. Whereas being back here, everybody's been to the Philippines. So, oh yeah, I went to Boracay last weekend. That's one thing I think maybe I like about living abroad is I meet people who've had a lot of similar experiences to me just because it's a yeah. lifestyle choice. So Yeah, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Shall we move on? Yes. To our... Lost in Translation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this week, so we have a Lost in Translation moment from Linus, who is actually my friend in China. And this is actually something that neither of us has heard. So I'm really stoked. Hey, guys. My name is Linus Leas. I am an English teacher in Shenzhen, China. I've been doing this for a couple of years now, but... I remember the first year I was working in China, I would always see students in the hallway. And the customary thing to, for students to do is to say, uh, hello, teacher, and then kind of bow their head and they would walk away. And they would say this in English to me, you know, being the English teacher. And that was, and that was fine. And, you know, if you choose to acknowledge them, uh, which I usually do, I would usually just say something like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And I would go about my business. And I always noticed that whenever I would reply, students would get kind of nervous or shy. You know, they would do 
maybe giggle because they were nervous about the English teacher, right? And that was fine. You know, that was, I just went a solid year just saying, hey, what's up? How's it going? How are you? You know, it's varying reactions. Well, I was hanging out with my Chinese friend and something happened and she said, oh, what's up? I was like, hey, I've noticed that a lot of Chinese people will say, what's up? What does, what does that actually mean? What does that translate to? And she was like, oh, it kind of, it's kind of like the word, it's the F word, basically. You know, when people say, what the fuck, or oh, fuck me, or, you know, some variation of that, you know, that's, that's kind of what, what Tao means. So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And then there was about 10 seconds where I was like, wait a second. What, what Tao sounds a lot like, what's up? So it just, it basically just hit me that for a solid, you know, eight months, students would be coming up to me in the hallway saying, hello, teacher. And I would basic, my response would basically be, oh, what the fuck? How's it going? And then I would be on my way. So for a solid year, it was like that. And I really wish that I had known that earlier because uh, if you didn't know, a lot of words in Chinese sound very similar to each other. So in China, we have something called WeChat Pay. And basically, you can pay for everything on your phone. You just need to give them your QR code, right? And sometimes it's unclear who scans who. And in English, you just say, oh, do I scan you or do you scan me? And, uh, you know, that's how we do things. But in China, the word for scan is sao. And that's easy enough. But once again, the word for fuck is ta. And I think I, I would like to think my Chinese is pretty good, but it's not good enough because uh, there have been more than a couple of times when I've been in the back of a cab and the guy takes me to my destination and I'm like, yeah, and he's like, you know, it's 20 that's $20 or something like that. And I'm just in the back getting my phone ready. And I just say, uh, and if there are any Chinese people listening to this, they're like, oh man, this Chinese is so bad. Uh, that basically translates to, can I f you? Can you f me? Yeah. So I've, uh, totally just bypassed the entire problem by just never speaking Chinese again. So that's my story, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh and, my god! Uh, yeah, oh wow, that you. was such a good yeah, story. Both of those, both of those were awesome. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> those, those little kids just scared and What's up? not really <laughs> sure. Hey, what the f- is going? <laughs> Yeah, so thank good. you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you. Those were great. And actually, Linus is a stand-up comedian here in Shenzhen. Oh. So, yeah, so he's also really good at telling jokes. That really helps. But um, I don't know if he has 
I don't I don't think he has a website or like a YouTube channel. I've told him that I want to help him make it, but I don't know if he's if he has it. So, um, but if he does have one, we'll link to it. If not, then I'll help him set up a YouTube channel and make him write. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's that time of the week. Uh, time to wrap things up. Yep. Well, um, if you know a third culture kid or you are a third culture kid, or I guess we should say third culture individual, mm-hmm. then uh, we'd love to hear your experience. I'm sure that it's just just like Cecil and David. I'm, I'm sure it's super interesting and super unique. Yeah. And so we'd love to hear from you if you want to send us a little voice recording on our contact section on our website, languagenerdstoearth.com, or you can just write us a comment in the show notes or on our social media. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed it. That way you won't miss our new episodes when they come out. Mm -hmm. And follow us on our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And... We like to post some interesting things throughout the week to keep you entertained. Mm -hmm. Yes, and for our own entertainment as well. Um, (laughs) And please send us your Lost in Translation moments. You can send us a voice memo to languagenerdstoearth at gmail.com or you can record it on our website under the contact section or you can just Mm -hmm. send us a comment anywhere and we'll read it on the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And please, if you could, take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Mm -hmm. They really do help people to find us. And so it would be awesome if you could take a moment to do that if you're enjoying it. Yeah. And, yeah, tell your friends about it if you like it also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And our next episode is going to be about getting sick while traveling. Mm Mm-hmm. So we have some stories about that. You can also subscribe to our blog. We like to write about some of our experiences traveling and living abroad. If you want to check that out, you can put in your email address in the subscribe box on our website. Yeah. And I think that's just about everything. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks. And we'll see you next week. Yep, have a good one.